This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. From the 55-yard line, welcome to Gridiron America, and I am sitting here tonight with a voice you, if you listen to sports history podcasts out there, it's a voice that you're going to know very well. It is Tim Hanlon from Good Seats Still Available. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Greg, uh, and um, uh, greetings and salutations to you all the way out there in southern Japan. How's it going? It's good. It is Spring has arrived here in Okayama. And uh, it's going to be about 60 degrees today, sunny out. I can feel the sun here beating in through uh, the office window. And, uh, you know, pretty soon here in Japan, it's all we're going to be watching and talking is baseball. So um, I am definitely not complaining, and it's nice to be able to talk to it. You know, you're you're back in my old stomping. You're in my stomping grounds, actually, kitty corner from one of my favorite restaurants when I uh, did my reserve duty up in... uh, up and uh up by there by the lakeshore and uh so yeah no it feels good to talk to you knowing you're back in chicago though i don't envy the cold no and we're gonna get six to 12 inches of snow as we record this in about two days so you're not missing that i'm sure oh and it is election day in chicago too on top of that it is and as we're recording this i'm actually (laughs) seeing the results as they come in 53 percent of the precincts are reporting but i'm not going to tip you off just yet again don't you gotta keep listening if you want to find out yeah yeah and uh for anybody asking um you know just real quickly before we get into our conversation unfortunately scott is not able to join us um for this conversation tonight he had a death in the family um but as i've said to everybody you will be hearing from scott um here soon but um, with time changes, family stuff and everything, it's been it's been hard to really work our schedules. So condo- our condolences going out to Scott and his family. Um, so, well, hey, while Tim, I I have listened to your podcast for literally years now, and you are probably the you're one of a few one of one of several people who are responsible for me doing what I do now with, with history podcasts and everything. And um, let me ask you, how did your podcast start? How did that all, how did it come about for you to, to say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Let's do it. Um, interesting. Nice of you to say, um, I, God knows why you continue to listen. Um, but it's, uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, nonetheless, must listen radio, my friend. That's what I'm uh, for, for, <laughs> I, yeah, for a certain type of listener, I, let, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's it it is kind of a, an acquired taste. I'll be certainly a, a, I'm very self aware when it comes to that. Uh, how did it come together? Um, a bit of a confluence of stuff. So, uh, number one, my sort of day job uh, is in the media and advertising and technology fields. I run a, a consultancy and advisory firm uh, in Chicago. That's um, uh, been around for 
almost 10 years now, we kind of focus on early stage technologies and innovations around media and television and streaming and that kind of stuff to investments and and all that kind of thing. Um, and previously was in the uh, advertising and media uh, agency space. So um, I'm always uh, interested professionally around uh, new approaches to media and technologies and stuff. And podcasting certainly was certainly a thing on that radar, 2016, 2017. So professionally, some interest in learning what the heck this thing is, how it works, um, you know, uh, could I do it too? Um, and then if I could do it, what could I actually like do it about? Right. Cause everybody and his brother seemed to be doing a, a podcast about something. Right. Um, enter in sort of a, a confluence number two, uh, which is, um, a former life, uh, before being in the media and advertising space in journalism in college, I was an intern at sports illustrated. I was, an intern at CBS News, worked at CBS News for a couple of years after college. Um, uh, yeah, I worked at Voice of America during it through college uh, as a paying gig overnights on the weekends. That really helped the social life. Uh, <laughs> envisioned sort of a media and or journalism kind of career. Right. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that sort of didn't fully pan out years later. But um, luckily, I think. Um, but, uh, a gift for gab, I guess, always enjoyed the radio growing mm -hmm. up. That was sort of my first media love. Yeah. Um, and podcasting is probably the closest thing to that. Then enter in confluence or, uh, concentric circle number three. Um, and this is more topical. Um, as many listeners of our silly little show may know, um, the, uh, uh, the youth of yours truly was uh, professionally sports oriented around uh, a fledgling soccer league known as the NASL, North American Soccer League. And I grew up in the northern New Jersey area and the New York Cosmos were not only a thing there regionally or nationally, but internationally. They were a, a white hot cosmic moment in time for a number of years. Um, gigantic crowds and all that kind of stuff. And that made a lasting imprint on me. I was season ticket holder with my parents and all that kind of stuff. And it was just fun, enjoyable. I loved every minute of it. And then in a few years, it was gone. Right. And that sort of defunctness, forgottenness, uh, somehow made a lasting impact on me. And um, it intrigued me, right? So indoor soccer teams and the original USFL and I remember vaguely this thing called World Team Tennis. And what are this ABA red, white, and blue basketball thing? Well, what was that all about? And on and on and on and on. And even as I grew up, arguably some have said that I have not grown up yet, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong they, with that. They continue to make more, right? I mean, right. We're to, here we are sitting on the, on the eve of the third weekend of the third incarnation of the XFL. And in a couple of months, the second incarnation of the USFL. And yeah. it just, it's just, uh, I, you know, so the fascination for me has always been around pro sports and defunctness and, and, and previous incarnations and stuff. I think it's born from that, but it's, to me, it's just like, it's a bit, it's a history pursuit. It's sports. Um, and it's just, it's, I don't know. It, and it, and it didn't seem to be covered by anybody. And, and I'm just like you. I mean, I know we're, per, you know, pretty much the same age. And we also grew up on, you know, you remember back in school, 
you know, getting those scholastic book order forms. And I would get all the football and baseball ones. And I'm sure you were, you know, the same thing. And so that's, you know, but yeah, I'm like you when, you know, the USFL, I mean, I just, I started, you know, I didn't have, for me growing up, I didn't have that experience of having my favorite team go away. But at the same time, I mean, I followed everything. And so like you, I've always had that, you know, I love reading these histories. I mean, I'm sitting right now with a book that I know you, I don't know if you have in your library, but I'm sure you've read, I know you've read while the getting's good by Herb Luck. Sitting on my shelf up on my shoulder, which you cannot see. Ah, right next have, door to the uh, $1 league by Bill Burr. It's funny. You should mention that. Cause uh, when it, we moved to Japan, there were certain books that were coming with me and this one and the $1 league would come, came with me. Um, and I dare not tell my wife how much I paid for these books. I, I will admit, though, my prized <laughs> possession is a uh, a very um, well worn, uh, but still in very good condition um, copy of um, the quote unquote uh, memoir biography of still with us Gary Davidson called "Breaking the Game Wide Open." Wow. And I will tell you, it's a book worth getting. It's probably about 50 bucks on eBay and Amazon and stuff. And, yeah. and we, we still have a very slight chance of getting Gary in a couple of months time, let's hope. Right. Um, but you must read that book and add that to your collection. Um, it is about the best approximation of the uh, confidence slash arrogance of of Gary Davidson at the time, frankly, I think <laughs> needed in both measures to be a or the brain of at least three challenger leagues to the, to the system. Right. Uh, I, I think you should get that book for your collection as well. I will try. And uh, it's funny you should mention that because when I moved, you know, when I was getting rid of books and trying to figure out what I was taking archive.org, has a lot of these books, including Gluck's book, including the $1 League. For those who can't, you know, obviously are looking for, for a copy, a lot of these books have been digitized now and are available for checkout at archive.org. And that's a shameless plug on my part because um, without them, I'd be very unhappy with it. It would have been, it would have been really hard to part with my books. But when I knew they were available on archive.org, I'd be like, okay, I can give it away. So. Yeah, I will definitely check that one out. You know, you um, I, you do bring up something though. I, I don't mean to go a tangent here, but oh, um, okay. uh, uh, um, there is somebody who, and I don't know who this person's name is. I I need to go back into my archives and 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 look it up. It's not somebody we've had on 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 the show, but um, this person digitized uh, media guides from the World Hockey Association. Mm. And um, I think kind of as a, if you will, public service. And then right. for some reason, I guess he found some of the commentary or the behaviors sort of unbecoming and kind of pulled, pulled them off and stuff. Mm. You know, I, I, that's a, there's another sort of angle, I think, of um, sports history that had really has yet to be done sort of en masse. Mm. And that is doing that for, uh, current 
teams and their past histories and their media guides back when media guides were a thing. I mean, for, for those right. of, of a certain age, you may not remember, but like if you're growing up in the seventies and eighties, watching these teams and stuff, um, I will tell you one of the, one of the earliest symptoms of my malady was writing to every single North American and American soccer league, and then MISL indoor soccer league team. To this is the day when you actually wrote letters and you mailed right. them to all these teams saying, "Could you please send me information about your team?" Really, and I would go. <laughs> I would spend the entire summer going to my mailbox and oh, waiting. Wow. And sure enough, I would get. Sometimes it'd be sort of thins, maybe maybe a maybe a sticker or certainly something on letterhead. Yeah, I'd get these packages with like pennants and programs and media guides and stuff. And it was like, and I did it like for five or five years, I think it was from like ages eight through whatever. And, um, but that was just, but those guys, those media guides, I mean, again, you have to remember late seventies, early eighties, you had the small, you had the small agate, you know, kind of stuff in the, in the newspaper, maybe the schools Mm -hmm. and something like the North American soccer league wasn't even covered all that well, even in New York was, was good, but it wasn't as, it wasn't comprehensive. Uh, but man, oh man, I, I, you, I would obsess with some of those. And I, and I've got, I parted with a lot of those over time and those, some of yeah. them got a pretty penny, but I love that stuff because that's oh. like, that's like sitting in the press box. Right. And that's like, that's like, that literally is, is probably the richest, uh, albeit promotional history you're going to find of some of these teams and stuff. Frankly, some of the only history you'll find. Right. I mean, I know whoever's doing that now, please do it. Keep doing it. Oh, yeah. Uh- before I left, I got a package in the mail. Before I left the States, I got a package in the mail and it came from Canada. In it was um, media guides from the origin from the US uh, CFL USA expansion. And it was a treasure chest. Oh, I got it. Posse. Yes. And uh, right, I sent all those. Those are sitting in California right now, <laughs> waiting to come over here. But it was just amazing. Just a treasure. I'm like, yeah, but uh, yeah, they don't. Do they even do media guides anymore, or is it just I don't, all? Online? I don't think so. I think they're all uh, either uh, online PDFs, um, and um, yeah, and and they they tend to be much more. I think they're more voluminous and more interactive. You know, with uh, links to stats. right. Certainly, a whole lot more comprehensive. But man, those media guides yeah. works. So oh hard. yeah, but yeah, it's like you know, it's just the the feel of the paper, the reading. I mean, I'm, I love libraries. I love books. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, to, to feel the book, even with, even with the book on the world football league, you're just sitting here. It's just like, wow. I don't know. There's just something about, it. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I very much am missing having a library that I can go to here in Japan and sit and check books out from. I mean, I know, yeah, but um, you also don't want to be a hoarder. And, and I, you know, I, well, I, that, I, and that's what I turned into be. That's, that's, that was the problem. Well, I, I purposely, I, you know, so um, while I'm fascinated with all this stuff and I, I love the history of it and stuff, I mean, yeah. people think or assume that I've got a trove of stuff. And I would say maybe to the extent of media guides, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, certainly for mm-hmm. soccer, I would say the answer was at the time, yes. Did I have an eBay problem back in the late nineties? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would, you know, I mean, and I, but you know, there's a point at which it was like enough is enough. And, yeah. And with the I internet, laugh. you know, a lot of stuff winds up online. You can kind of access as long as right. you know where to find it. There's plenty of gaps still left, friends. So don't worry about it. I mean, I would say there's a 
there's still I I think there's footage out there of various things that that are just sitting in somebody's attic. Yeah, just a, a, an estate or yard sale away that we'll discover. Um, but I I will say that um, the uh, the whole sort of media guide thing and all that kind of stuff. I it's um it, it's it really it just conjures up memories and. And sometimes your eyebrows get severely raised when you see some of the, the stories and the people and and people that actually you know now and what they were right. what they were doing when they were really young. It's just fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It just takes you back to a time and place. And I can it's like you know. I mean, I don't have to explain it to you. And but to try to explain it to somebody else that isn't into sports history, or you know, just didn't grow up a sports fan, going. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love music and I, I really get into music. So when the Cubs won the World Series, there were a few songs out there, you know, Eddie Vedder's All the Way, and there's another song out there that when I listened to it, man, it just took me back to childhood sitting in front of a TV watching Channel 9. I'm like, I, I don't know. I just, I can't. Yeah. It, it And that's, it's magical. And it's, you know, and, and, the guests that you've had on your show, and I know before we recorded here, I, I mentioned it, but your conversation with Larry Zonka that you had, that was in the last couple months here. I was, my my wife came in and she's like, hey, I go, no, I'm listening. <laughs> I got to hear this conversation. But it was how, and you, you talked to Larry for what, a good hour? Our, yeah, about an hour. He he was very yeah. generous with his time. Yeah, but but you know, like he's he's a great example of the of the kind of guests that uh, we strive for. But right. frankly, it's 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 as a part time enterprise. Yeah, and and, and not a, a hugely remunerative one at that. Um, so it's it's a passion project, yeah. right? So, um, but I am I, the the best guests. That's not true. One type of best guest is uh original eyes and ears people who were there and in the right. midst of all of it so i think some of our our best interviews have been with with um actual participants people who were there in the room mm -hmm. or on the field or doing the stuff right um and it, it um it actually uh those are i think even more heartfelt conversations because you can get yeah. deeper um, and you can kind of talk about sort of like what their state of mind was at the time or what they were thinking or, um, and the, the, the more you sort of kind of just poke, it becomes more revelatory, right? Yeah. There's, there's less, you know, guarded sort of, you know, and, and Larry is a really good example. I mean, this is a guy, you know, for those who don't know or remember, I mean, he was essentially one of the elite players in the NFL along with his, um, his pal Jim Kick, um, and um, God, boy, who's the other guy? I can't remember. The there were three Mercury of them, Morris, Mercury Morris, um, and they were riding high because they were uh, the you know the undefeated Miami Dolphins Super Bowl winning team. They were, and 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 Larry and Jim in particular, although I think Mercury Morris was kind of in the mix for a period of time, literally became the um, you know the Gordy Howe. WHA version for the WFL, the sort of the, the go-to rule book, if you will, of challenger league, find right. big talent, pay him a whopping amount of money 
and instant credibility. Yeah. And of course it didn't play out all that way, but you know, when I saw that he was putting out a book, I mean, you're always looking for excuses to find these people as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And some people will be very generous with their time because they love to go down memory lane. Other people don't necessarily either want to remember some of these exploits or foibles. Right. Um, or have not gotten over them. We've certainly gotten into some of those kinds of things. And, but, you know, I, either way, those first person memories are like gold in my yeah. mind. And also, and, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Ahead. And they're also the more, they're also the more recent ones, right? So yeah. the things from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s and onwards, right? right? There's a greater propensity of having those people still alive with us. Now, as you go back in time, no less fascinating stories, but they tend to be more history projects. And that's right. where it gets right. a little harder to kind of divine, but you certainly can get a lot more um, either accurate or through the lens of history a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, comprehensive, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, like you said, I mean, a lot, for instance, a lot of these people that are associated with these leagues are aging out or passing away. And, you know, Upton Belk, great example, great example. And you and I both know Upton. And uh, when we interviewed him, it was fascinating. A first person account. I mean, there uh, we learned so much, and he was so generous of his time, and I know he was with you. To hear him talk and to give that, you know, okay, this is actually how it happened. Like, okay, okay, that it runs counter to any, but Upton was there. He knows, you know, and um, I was trying. We were trying. I was trying to get Bud Grant to come on the show, and uh, <laughs> and Upton said he's like. You gotta, he goes, a lot of us gold guys are aging out. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get us while you can get us at this point. So well, um, have you I agree. It's really important. I mean, I, in some respects, it's almost like you want to, uh, so I, I was a big fan of um, uh, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. And anybody who knows of Gilbert Gottfried, the famous comedian just recently passed away about six months ago. Mm -hmm. He and his cohort, Frank Santo Padre, have been doing a podcast I don't know, it was around the same time that I started, maybe maybe yeah. too earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole uh, uh, zeitgeist of that was uh, old showbiz history and and people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they would lament that, you know, that they were, oh, they were this close to getting at, As oh, they got at Asner, but, you know, this close to getting a certain person or two and, yeah. and they died the, like the next week and stuff. And, and, you know, they really wanted to get some of these stories is essentially memorialized. And I kind of feel a little bit like that here too. Yeah. Um, although I don't have the, <laughs> I wish I had more of a financial cushion to do it more full time, but I, <laughs> I got to tell you the, you know, I, the Upton Bell is a great example. I mean, a tr yeah. tremendous conversation. We probably should have him back, but I mean, this is a guy who uh, somehow saved the New York stars uh, WFL franchise and, and brought it to new life and actually was in the Vanguard because he was exploring Charlotte mm -hmm. for the first time. And now look at Charlotte is the major metropolitan area busting yeah. the sports. But he was also the conduit to us getting John Sterling, the New York oh. Yankees broadcaster, still going strong at 80-something years old, right. um, who I remember as a kid growing up in New York as a somewhat of a, a smart-ass sports talk guy, arguably the, the father of sports talk in New York City back in the early 70s. Yeah. Um, but John Sterling, I didn't know this. He was the voice of the New York Stars for the four games that they oh, played. Oh, wow. 
I didn't and know that led me down a rabbit hole. I found audio and stuff. And John Sterling had a memory like a trap. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember we were caught in Hawaii and then the league folded. I'm like, what? I mean, it's like, wow, keep going. This is uh. great. And and he's also a broadcaster, so he wouldn't stop. And it's like that, that's gold, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, more just, of that, please. Yeah. You hit the record button and you're like, take us away. And it, you know, Upton, same way. We press the record button. And Scott and I were just like, this was gold. This was perfect. This and it was one of our first podcasts too. And we just so, I mean, uh, to this day, I mean, I fact I was texting Upton the other day. Um, just a very giving man, a very generous man. Um, and even when my wife and I were in Boston, we were planning on going to visit him, but COVID got in the way. But him and I talked every day. I mean, I've noticed that when you do these podcasts, at least on my, I mean, these are people you get to know in the short time you interview them but then also the conversation tends to carry on later on whether it be through social media facebook is a great example um i'm facebook friends with a, a lot of our get the guests that we do so um but it, it's just it's when you're how do you get how, how does it how are you able because you get some great guests What's the process that goes in? Is it a weekly thing? I mean, how off? I mean, how hard? How hard do you work on on getting the guests? Because um, you put out a show at, at least twice a week, correct? No, it's uh, it, we've tried to adhere to a once a week kind of schedule. I, I must okay. or what twice? I'm sorry, once a week. No, because yeah, I was it, thinking. Yeah, I mean, I one of the one thing I kind of made a promise to myself with, and I, this is just learning about podcasting in general yeah. was, um do your best to kind of stick to a regular schedule, right? So it becomes a habit for people. Right. Um, and, you know, for some people, for some entities that's monthly or biweekly, uh, for me, weekly seem to be a good cadence. Um, you know, I will tell you it's it, occasionally there are weeks where you wonder if you're going to be able to, if it's going to happen or right. bend time a little bit, or sometimes an interview doesn't go the right way or, you know, we've had a few that we've, some interviews we've had, we just haven't used because they just weren't that, weren't all that great. Um, but I, it's hard because you make that commitment. And as my wife will tell you, after doing this for almost seven years now, she's like, give yourself a break, take a week off. Like, well, it's not all that simple to do, but the good news is in the, because we've been doing this for so long, I now have a decent library where, right. you know, from six or seven years ago, may not have heard our initial interview with Kyle Rowe Jr., our episode number 10, right. and who remembers the superstars and the Dallas Tornado uh, and that kind of stuff. So we'll throw, you know, we'll throw that back in. And it, it's, yeah. you know, it's 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 new-ish. And, right. you know, for, for those souls who have not, you know, braved or treaded down the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the dungeon of uh, of the uh, of the archives, or mm -hmm. as Steve Dolly used to say, the descent into the archives. Um, <laughs> for those who, know. for those outside of Chicago who don't know right. who Steve Dahl is, very yeah. famous uh, Chicago uh, radio personality. But he, you know, the, the 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 concept there is like you know not to go to the well too much. But I mean, right. like this week we did we rebroadcast our our XFL interview with Brett Forrest, who wrote I think really the only book of any substance around the original version of the XFL. There's actually, you know what? There's actually, there's actually two books. There's Brett's and uh, Brett just, it, it was perfect timing with you doing that, putting that out because he just re-released that book. Yeah. And uh, audio version long, as well, the long too. bomb, which is a, is a fascinating and honest take 
on what happened. And we're going to get into the XFL stuff here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was one of the, the first interviews that I listened to on your show was, was that because I think I just read the book and I got it like, holy, you know, it was, and it was a fascinating interview with him, but there's also to another book. Uh, the name of the book is, um, the title was, and I quote, it was football stupid, which is another good book. And I forget the name of the author. So I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, but in terms of process, I mean, I, I also try to like look for hooks, right? So yeah, it's either personal connections or um, ideas that um, I see or stories or, or anniversaries, some other kinds of hooks. Um, I'll be honest, books, people writing books or putting out movies and stuff doesn't hurt. Those tend to be convenient excuses. Uh, not in all cases. I mean, Billie Jean King had a book out last year, still can't get her. She's got a book mm-hmm. coming out later this year, still working on getting her. I want to talk about World Team Tennis. Billie Jean, if you're listening, we're here for you. Um, <laughs> the original World Team Tennis in the 70s yeah. talk. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you have to find, and then and then uh, persistence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had plenty of people who I'm still trying to chase after a couple of years. I'll mm-hmm. I'll have a fleeting text from them or somebody will say they're interested or, you know, I've been on uh, the case of Jeannie bus for two and a half years now, and we've texted and it comes and it goes and I'm leery because the Lakers aren't in the playoffs yet this year. It's very delicate, right? So, but you keep trying and, um, and ordinarily will come. So persistence and, um, and fear, frankly, I want to get something out (laughs) each week of quality. Well, you do. I mean, the thing is you do a great job. So it's like, I don't know. I, you make it look easy. You really do. I mean, I just, I listen, seen the guests, man, I've dug in through the archives. I'm like, Oh, you know, and it's like, but Greg, you know. I will say this though. I mean, let, I mean, let's be, I'm going to be frank. I mean, this is an acquired taste, right? I mean, it's right. Sometimes I will tell people what I do and I, I almost am uh, embarrassed to kind of say, not embarrassed. It's just, it's just, I know that my passion for this particular topic is not the same passion that other people have. Right. I do find that most people generically can at least warm up to the topic and I can kind of mm-hmm. sense quickly in conversation, whether it's worth going down the rabbit hole with or not Right. by saying, Hey, where'd you grow up? Okay. Uh, do you fancy yourself a sports fan when you were growing up or where you're from? Hey, do you remember? And I'll throw in an obligatory defunct yeah. team and see if it brings a, a memory or two. If it does, then I say, okay, that's kind of what we focus on are those kinds of stories, leagues, teams, events, situations, pro stuff that doesn't exist anymore. And we go right. deep and we love it and we learn a whole ton. Yeah. I mean, it's Not, part, you, know, you and yeah, I are eight, part of a small time, tribe. Yeah. Eight times out of 10, it'll be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Two yeah. times out of 10, it's like, oh my God, do you remember X or Y? And then Usually we go off and have a couple of brews and, you know, there you go. Right. But yeah, I will say, well, here's one last thing and and I'll shut up. It does. It's also kind of like a roulette wheel. Right. Right. Because just because we're doing a topic this week, right. It may not hit, it may not hit your fancy, right. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not a hockey fan or you could care less about, you know, uh, a minor league or an indoor soccer league that wasn't the MISL or even the MISL. But, you know, if you stick around the week after next week, we might talk about the XFL or the world football league or the world league of American football or some team that, that almost was a franchise, but never was like the Miami screaming Eagles of the world hockey association. 
etc. Oh, wow, there's a name I haven't heard of like forever. Yeah. But it's, it's wow. so I mean for the very <laughs> so it, it's it's a niche of a niche, right? So the niche right. of defunct uh, uh, teams and leagues that yeah. you or I might be interested in because we grew up there or it's a sport we love or whatever we have memories of or pennants of or programs from, et cetera, or, or times with our parents when we went to go to games, or um, it's even a smaller subset of that. Yeah. It's a percentage of a percentage who care about like the defunctness overall. I right. think Scott is one of those guys. Yes. Um, yeah. I am definitely one of those guys. Uh, you yeah. may or may not be. I certainly am. Oh, oh I am. I am fully there with you guys. I'm, I am on the same boat with you guys and you know, happy to be there because it just it i you know what it just it it brings a maybe the term i guess is visceral feeling just able to be a kid again i mean my you can't see my you know we're doing we're you can't see my um my jerseys in my closet i guess is what i'm trying to say um and it's just i i look at it's just a way to be young i guess and i guess it's just you know as we get older you know, you and I see people that are age that are way older than what we are. And that I'm not talking physically, but I'm just talking mentally. I mean, I think you and I have not forgotten, and nor has Scott, and most people that are listening have not forgotten that feeling of what it feels like to be a kid again. And to me, the defunct leagues, the history keeps that feeling alive. Yeah. And, you know, I would say it's also, I think in the beginning, maybe it was more nostalgia and, and an anticipation of, of, um, of folly. Mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly healthy doses of that, right? And there's uh, all kinds of craziness to attempt these kinds of stories and leagues and teams and what you were thinking and, and, and the frivolity and the whimsy and the situations and the, you know, sometimes even legal troubles of, of these kinds of situations. But mm -hmm. I will say it's it's become over time, actually fairly quickly, um, more of an exploration and just a curiosity hunt. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of also say it's not just sports history, but it's really also pop culture because yeah. one, I find that to be part and parcel of it, right? Right. It, it, sports is pop culture, and it, it, as a as a side component to that, it's also kind of a, a snapshot or review of what was going on in said uh, time period in mm -hmm. this country or in that city or in that sport. Um, and that to me reveals whole bunches of other things. Yeah. And the overlap becomes really intriguing when mm -hmm. some of these stories, I want to say meld together, but they become almost cross pollinations of each other. Right. Yeah. So we, we were lucky to have for two episodes, uh, the late great Dennis Murphy, right? This is a guy mm -hmm. alongside, you know, maybe Gary Davidson, you know, was was probably the most um, important and unsung uh, figure in American sports history in that he was Dennis Murphy and then to, to a lesser extent, a bit or maybe similar to Gary Davidson. This was a guy who I mean, he was a hustler for sure. Mm -hmm. He was a promoter for sure. But he's the guy that was either wholly or partially responsible for at least four different challenger leagues, if not more. I've seen his name associated with all kinds of other stuff, but the 
American Basketball Association, the World right. Hockey Association. He was part of the WFL back in the early days. Roller Hockey International in the 90s got Jeannie, Jeannie Busser started. That's the one I was like when you came. I'm like, wait a minute. There's a right. fourth? I didn't know that one. I didn't know about the roller And he hockey. was also apparently part of World Team Tennis for a few moments. Okay. And a whole bunch of, and, and Lord knows the other things that never got off the ground. Yeah. I think he was involved in, uh, there's other stuff. But, right. But the, just the, the font of creativity. And the balls, I'll just say it, to, to kind of just do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. Gary Davidson similarly is is to me is just endlessly fascinating. Is it a product of the 70s, that period of time? Yeah, maybe. I think the 19, if there is a book or a movie to be had in this realm, I would, mm -hmm. would focus on the 70s. And I and it was probably it's probably the greatest concentration, maybe save for today because of private equity money and, and, and ESPN yeah. auction, right. Of new sports, new leagues, and just going for it and see what happens. The international right. volleyball association. We had a great conversation with the guy who did the documentary was on ESPN for a minute. It was actually a half hour. Um, but Will Chamberlain, the co-ed volleyball, uh, the international volleyball association was a thing for a good three or four years. And the reason I remembered it, is because Sports Illustrated would always have it in the agate in the for the record section. So I knew it was I knew it was real because yeah. the, and I was I would always look there to see is it still around? Cuz yeah. in New York we didn't know from anything about this international but in Tucson it was a big deal. In really? Denver it was a huge deal. Yeah, in El Paso it was a big deal. Well, and, and it's Will Chamberlain was part of it and, wow. and Barry, Barry Gordy was part of the ownership group. Uh uh Barry Diller was part of the ownership group of the league. Uh, 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 soon to be uh, uh, under the Reagan administration, Donald Reagan, mm -hmm. the Treasury Secretary, was part of that. And Will Chamberlain was commissioner. This is a whole story I've never heard This inter about the volleyball. I've just not until not, I didn't know that. I did not know that. That's why we exist. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's funny because here in Japan, we actually have a pro volleyball team, at least here. You know, it's uh, my wife's like, we should go. To, I'm like, yeah, we can go to pro. You know, it's it's women's pro volleyball. So I'm like, yeah, let's go to women's pro volleyball. Love to see it. Well, um, for, for those who are listening, <laughs> and if you care, episode nine, Mike Jacobs, he's the uh, guy who did the the uh, the documentary about the International Volleyball Association. Yeah. We have episode number 138, uh, Jay Hanseth, who was a, a major player in that league. And uh, we even talk about uh, Will Chamberlain's uh, stuff in episode 217 with the uh, biographer, Robert Cherry. And here's the kicker. Yeah. It, it, all this stuff keeps coming back, right? It, it, history doesn't right. repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. Right. Well, and, okay. yeah, I, I was going to say, and the, on the football front, we, we see that now, but there are now four, apparently, to launch professional volleyball leagues. Two of them supposedly co-ed, which was the, which the IVA was. Yeah. So these ideas are not necessarily new. They just keep coming around again. And that's fascinating to me because people yeah. don't learn lessons and they they think they could do it better. Uh, well, and that it kind of segues into into talking about where we're at now with just with the XFL and the history lessons. And I, you know, you probably are like me when you're sitting there, you're reading about. We'll just use the you know, we'll use the XFL because it just, it's the easiest example to use. 
and you sit there and you see everything play out and you're like, I've seen this movie before. I know how this is going to end. And in the social media and the Twitter sphere, everybody's there's so much spin, but yet it doesn't seem like people have either learned from history or even read a history book. So what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I mean, I think um, it's interesting that the name still exists. Um, and, uh, but it, it, it's also um, not unlike the USFL, uh, and it's a different sort of story there. But, um, right. The, I mean, the, I think the idea of spring football that um, the USFL, from what I've learned in history, did not pioneer it, but it certainly, probably was the best perfection of the idea of spring football. Right. Uh, and um, it really filled a void back in the early eighties. Um, and we know why and how that sort of story fell apart. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I always thought that spring football could indeed work if it were given the proper foundation, certainly the right investment, and frankly, um, the appropriate uh, place on the big dinner table, largely set and, um, and food created by the NFL, right? So mm -hmm. the kids call it a kid's table, call it the dessert or call it the app, whatever. Right. Um, and the USFL, you know, should never have tried to quote unquote challenge the NFL. Could it have coexisted as a spring league of high, if not maybe on a certain occasion, equal quality? I think maybe, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure we're in a place right now where that could happen today. The NFL has just gotten yeah, so much more gargantuan, right? But I do look at spring football still pretty much a thing and a void that can be filled. And I, I will tell you, we can argue about the quality of play. We can talk about the AAF. We can talk about this second version of the XFL. Um, but the rules innovations, I mean, mm -hmm. are, are persistent through all of those. Right. And some of them have leaked into the NFL already. And I think a bunch more are ready, willing, and, and able to be done as uh, for, uh, for sure. I, I, again, as well. I think there's some really innovative things there that are not kitschy that actually could improve the quality of play overall in the NFL and maybe save a few lives down the road too. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, I know with, you know, the thing with all of these, and I, I explain to people, I go, you know, is as much as you want to maybe, you know, say this is going to fail. I don't really consider it a failure if something is learned from the league and, to, and made and put into place elsewhere. I mean, the first XFL brought us the Sky King. Changed the way of looking at the game. And I can't remember any other innovations off the top of my head. But then you had other leagues come in. And now with this third version, the way they're doing kickoffs and the way they're doing extra points, I like. I, I, this is this is good. The quality of play is not great, but it's only two game, two weeks in it'll improve as these guys gel and everything. So to me, it's never been a quality of play. Um, and the rules innovations have been great, but where I always, and I always tell people where it all falls apart is on the business end. 
And have any of, I mean, do you, I mean, we've, with the XFL, I mean, first off, and I'm, to me, when I see XFL, I equate it with failure. And I don't know why, why that is when there have been, it was a success in the sense it did bring about rules innovation. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm, I like what I'm seeing with the current XFL, but as we know, the ratings came out today, people really aren't watching. I mean, do you see that? Do you, do you see that changing? Do you see the, is there an appetite for spring football? I guess is I'm, I'm kind of lost for words on this one. No, no. I I, I think, I think there's definitely an appetite. Now, again, I think you have to, there are a couple of things that are different even since the second version, right? Um, one is betting. Yeah. I mean, for better or for worse, uh, the um, everything is gambleable now. Right. In most states, right? It's just, but it's just it that didn't even exist in the in the second go around, right? So right. um it gives uh people who are inclined to do that on a regular basis, regardless of the reasons mm-hmm. or the specifics of the gambling, more stuff. For the for the funnel to to consider to bet against, yeah, um, and so I mean so that that'll add some level of intrigue and interest and and stuff. But I do think though that the, um, you know I I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised. The XFL has meaning to it, right? I think right the second version, um, you know, was a kinder, gentler version, right? And I, it was almost sort of a redemption play. Yeah. Yeah. McMahon, yep. Right. To kind of like legitimize it. Right. But, but what was not, what was not lost though, is, was sort of the, um, sort of the challenger mentality and the idea of bettering the game somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. That's what, uh, Danny Garcia and, um, uh, and, and Dwayne Johnson have done, and I, I also appreciate the fact that they took the XFL logo and made it their own and that kind of stuff, right? They've, yeah. They really have stripped away as much of the McMahon essence as they could while mm-hmm. keeping a, enough of the verve and the intent, I guess, of what the, you know, the, 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 the brashness, I guess, of what an XFL could be. Okay. And, and, and I, and I, um, I have to give them a bit of an edge uh, going into the rest of this season, especially when the USFL comes into play in April, because they're at least in the markets, right? I love the idea that they're centralizing the teams and the practices, and then they're flying mm-hmm. those markets, but they're in the markets. Now, I, I, I would not have chosen some of the venues. Yeah. Because well, I think yeah. some of them are too big, right? Um, right. Right. And it's it gets a little embarrassing, I think, on the football on you know on the television front, but the aesthetics of it. Yeah, but at the I mean, at the end of the day, it's product for television, right? That's really. Right. A, but I do think there is something, and it will take a while to. Um, but I, the USFL, I know, is incrementally, right? I mean, they did everything in Birmingham last year, with the exception mm-hmm. of the final. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I like the idea that they're actually going to regionalize those games at least into four markets. Yeah, I, I just think. The XFL, I think, has done a good job of shedding its previous skin, right? The the U at the USFL, 
I, I know and see why Fox Sports and Eric Shanks and friends did this. It was opportunistic. It was buying assets from the spring league and kind of bolting on some nostalgia atop of it mm-hmm. with the USFL original names and teams. Um, but I, that feels, it feels a bit stretched to me uh, to bring all those former league teams and those names into the mix. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that places like San Antonio mm-hmm. and St. Louis, again, point XFL for getting into those markets um, again and ASAP because there was real traction there, both the AAF and the XFL in those yeah. markets. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, that first, uh, one of the first AAF games I watched was yeah. the Commander's game. And it was, you know, the, the 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 CFL would have killed to have crowds like that in San Antonio, you know, back in the nineties when the when the Texans played there for that one season. So yeah. I, I mean I also think too, um, we're now in an age of streaming, which is also something that's right really come into its own even since the the last XFL in the twenty twenty or so. It's mm-hmm. really it's really become it, really yeah. mainstreamed, if you will. Right. And as we've seen with Formula One, boring to watch. Sorry, hate to tell you, it's it's not. A, I it, I you know. But if I've watched the documentary on Netflix, yeah. I at least know the storylines, and that's you know, right. That could, that could be a really interesting way to get people interested in stuff and build it. So look, I think give it some time. Right. Uh, if they're around for three years and the USFL can last for a third or fourth year, I mean, Fox is sub is is. It's cheap programming for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And um, it fills time uh, getting 700,000 or a million viewers uh, and selling some advertising and, and some sponsorship stuff around that. It's it's better than break even probably. And if we're lucky, the two of them probably merge into something stronger and yeah. they'll pick the best markets. and. Right. They will be what they sh- they probably should be, and that is, call it developmental, call it the second chance, call it a minor league, call it a partner of the NFL, call it a a rules, uh, a, a a place to experiment like minor league baseball has done with major league baseball. Right, knowing its role and and coordinating it, it could it could make football, pro football, the NFL maybe led version of pro football a year-round sport yeah i mean that's a good point i mean i don't even want even really kind of think it in, in that way even though i it's right there in front of me i just really hadn't seen it until you really brought up but yeah the both these leagues could very well just be you know a laboratory you know an nfl kind of blessed or maybe but the question is is at what point does the nfl do they partner i mean that's like it's the the 500 pound gorilla in the room but i don't the nfl seems to the nfl doesn't really talk about the xfl <laughs> you don't no they, know, they, they don't have to and yeah and, they and don't have to so it's, there's, there's uh, history here though too right they yeah. they didn't talk about the afl they didn't talk about the wfl when it was right. had a lot of press and and right. money being thrown around the and the only league they've ever acknowledged is the CFL because the commissioners have stated they still want a strong CFL. 
Yeah, I, I, the thing though is that the NFL doesn't have to do anything until they do. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to throw rocks at the NFL. I mean, it's it's this amazing phenomenon in in American and frankly world sports. Right? There's there's plenty of opportunity still for international. Right? We all remember the World League of American Football that has begotten. Um, you know, a, a bunch of interest in American football in mm-hmm. European and, and Mexican markets. Um, I think there's absolutely, I mean, if, if soccer can be globalized in the United States, vice versa for for American football, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That said, though, um, I worry about, and this is for lots of sports, but, but the NFL prime among them, about money too much. Right. Mm-hmm. Private equity now being part of the ownership mix. Um, uh, too much money chasing too few franchises. Um, I worry about uh, clearly from a lot of the conversations that we've been lucky to have. Uh, things like the um, uh, the pensions and CTE and the physical mm-hmm. frailty of players as they get older and the the still not understood enough. I mean, I just read an article today about Irv Cross, um, former Philadelphia Eagle and NFL Today. Yeah, what did I miss? Later. I haven't seen that. Uh, his it, it was an article on ESPN.com um, uh, about his wife uh, talking about the results from, I, I forget what medical facility. He, he donated, he and his family donated his brain yeah. upon passing to uh, have it uh, uh, looked at. And in, he was in stage four CTE. Wow. And his, his wife documents some, the last number of years were just, you know, complete, a complete abandonment of who he was and, and all of, all of his faculties oh, wow. and that kind of stuff. Wow. And, and I, you know, there's, I don't know how much more evidence you need. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of players kind of know about this going in, but I'm sure a whole lot more don't or worse see the dollar bills and yeah. oh it's like you know i'm going to go for it it's my only chance i'm still young you know there's but there's so much you know I, so i don't know i mean it's just the nfl feels in some respects too big to fail it's a juggernaut mm-hmm. and yet ripe for a fall of some sort well you know I don't know, how, I, you know and i described it to somebody here as to what the nfl is and i go the nfl for americans is a certain segment of us and i include myself that it's kind of like a drug it's it fills a void it it keeps us engaged it you know the nfl has figured out you know with fantasy football with gambling with merchandising i mean i fell in love with football and pro sports because of nfl films you know way back when we didn't know about the issues and everything so as we're going forward now here i mean we're you know and we're almost to the midway point here. Oh, we're getting there. Well, we're a quarter way into the 21st century. And how, the question is, how does the NFL adapt? Um, and the NFL, let's face it, they dodged a huge bullet in in Cincinnati with that with, with what happened on the field there and the recovery later on. For um, and I'm I'm sorry I'm having a the the players. Thing. Yeah, but you, it's a, yeah, yeah, but it, it, the question is not if, but when the next time that kind of thing happens, and, and yeah, what, 
and and we need to monitor his health going forward right. and how much of, or how how much of that was influenced by concussive types of things and right. and just other kinds of injuries and all that yeah. kind of, I look I, I it's it's about it's a, it's about as american as apple pie and i there is a trend going on in sports generally there is this massive inflation of investment across the board, the NFL leading the leading the valuation parade mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, on the totem pole of of, of, of value. And um, we were joking about it before. I mean, there's plenty of ESPN Ocho sports out there that are, you know, they're like two now major professional pickleball leagues, three actually. Wow. Uh, there are, there are, well, <laughs> I did not know there that. Are, there are four uh, apparently real volleyball leagues coming. I, and I, I think volleyball is ripe for right. uh, 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 another shot at the pro game. But four leagues when there are none now? Yeah. Wow. I mean, um, and look, we've, we've had plenty of historical conversations uh, about uh, the soccer was a great example of that. In the late 60s, coming off the 1966 World Cup, we had three professional leagues that wanted to start up in 1967. Three when there were zero the year before. That melded into two. They couldn't mm-hmm. agree. One got official blessing from FIFA. The other didn't. And they both launched in the same year. And then by the next year, they've they've merged into a, a single league. And then by the year after that, 1969, they were down to five teams. Mm. That, I mean, it's just like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I also don't know how much this money is going to last. Right. Private equity is looking for, it is looking for places to put money into and sports because of its scarcity. Yeah. But it's, it's, I worry about, I mean, I sit, I'm not trying to be the old man yelling at the clouds here. So to no, that's me. That's listeners me. stop. You can stop. <laughs> you can yell at your devices all you want, but ask yourself this. Number one, if you just wanted to go to a, an NFL football game, Ask yourself how much that costs and how you're going to get that ticket or group of tickets and the parking and all that kind of stuff. It is exorbitantly expensive. It is absolutely not in the province of the quote unquote average fan. So I think there may be a little bit of, um, and I think pro sports generally is getting into that category, right? You're baseball, even baseball is arguably still accessible because you can at least go to an an afternoon game somewhere, you know, and sit in the grandstands. And, and then there's, 82 games in your home market to go to. So there's plenty, there tends to be uh, plenty of inventory, but this scarcity is what's driving the valuations. And then people who recognize it's like getting a medallion. Well, basically when, when taxis were uh, a, a restricted <laughs> thing, it was like getting a medallion in Manhattan for your cab. Right. It's only some, they only made it so many of them. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what artificially inflated the prices and stuff. I did. I don't know. I just, um, Number one, I how much is too much, right? Major League Soccer, we're pushing on thirty teams now. Yeah. I'm the biggest soccer fan there is. I, I, do we have enough talent in this country? World Cup, uh, not a, not a, uh, notwithstanding, uh, to to to. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I and, and I and I just it's getting more expensive. Um, I, I just how many leagues can we support? And I, you know, I just it feels bubbly to me. Yeah, that's that's I, I agree with you. I mean, I yeah, I mean, there's only so much money to go around, and and again, it's like with football, you know, spring football. I mean, how much, how much out there? I mean, 
at some point these leagues need to make a profit to to survive and but yeah it goes to what you were saying just so much it feels like a bubble it well, yeah, like and, and and television and so, so what what yeah. one so one big thing that's happening literally as we record this right is the implosion of the regional sports network model, right? Here in the United well, that's States. and I'm glad we're talking about that because I wanted to get into TV and streaming because that's this is a whole area that I I really I know nothing about other than what I read in the newspaper. So that's why I'm glad we're having or what I see on TV and 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 read. So that's why I'm glad I'm talking to you because. So the regional, so going back to what you were saying, the re, the implosion of, of regional sports networks. It's it's a legacy of the cable television model, right? Where or pay television, right? Where you know in your local markets, these regional sports networks. In some cases, there are two of them, like in Chicago, uh, two in New York. Um, the largely uh, centered around. Um, uh, baseball, hockey, and uh, the NBA, mm-hmm. and they are um, cash cows. Have been. They are an outsized portion of the models. Brilliant, right? Because it's like for every cable or satellite subscriber, um, you bake that into the basic package, mm-hmm. um, and it's the most expensive channel in your package, whether you watch it or not. Uh, I did have- not know that. And you have to take it. Um, it's and despite pushback from cable operators wanting to make it an an optional add-on, the model only works when you embed it into a nice fat monthly fee that is paid for by everybody, regardless of they watch it or not. And that is the lion's share of where a lot of uh, player salary revenue goes to. Those yes, there's national money. But there's also local regional money that comes through these regional sports networks that for baseball in particular, but to a similar extent, NHL and NBA franchises as well, depends on that. that they are Those are the predominant ways most people watch most games uh, of the sport is through the regional sports networks. Um, the, the outlier to that is, wait for it, the NFL, right? They years ago nationalized and pooled their television rights so that all 30, was it 32 teams? 32 teams get uh, equal share of that uh, of that pie, right? Um, baseball and NBA and NHL differ in that market size actually matters. That's why the Yankees tend to be paying more for their players than others because they make disproportionately more in media revenue because they're in the largest media market in the country versus, say, Milwaukee, which kind of has to do it different ways and not necessarily rely on that kind of money. Um, but it's, I think um, it's it's flying right in the face of what's happening to the the manner by which most people in the United States are now consuming television and increasingly that is not through a cable or satellite package, a bundle. It's now streaming first uh, and maybe only, depending on how old you might be. And I think if you want to see where the future of televised sports is going to go, I think it's going to be one step boldly in the future and one step uh, curiously in the past. Um. The future is where 
folks like Major League Soccer are. So you may not be a soccer fan, but I'm really curious if you do get Apple TV Plus. I do. Uh, you know, I am a soccer fan. Um, I'm, I'm, I've always watched soccer. I've always enjoyed it. And I actually have a team here in, in, in uh, the J um, League. Uh, in the J, J League second division, uh, nice. Bajiano Okayama is the J League team here. So they're two okay. games in, they're 1 0 and 1. So, you know, I got, you know, I got a team to to follow and start to learn about Japanese. You know, I always learn about culture through sports. So it's perfect. It's perfect. L love the J league. The J league was MLS before MLS. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. That's a whole, yeah, you're right. Definitely. But, but MLS though is they, you know, in doing their deal, their revolutionary deal with, with Apple literally now owns and produces and solely distributes its stuff nationally right they they were trying to replicate or go down the regional sports uh realm and they found that the uh the broadcasts and the quality and the commitment was um varied it was all over the place depending on the market some did it really well M many more others treated it as sort of a bastard stepchild uh or didn't put a lot of production efforts into it yeah, like um, Chicago Fire in Chicago. I, I agree. Like, there's no English language radio for Chicago Fire games. It hasn't been ever. I mean, I've always right. found it to be perplexing. But now, I mean, for better or for worse, the league now controls it all. We can argue about, but we'll see. I, I will tell you, I was fascinated by the first weekend's worth. And you can get it wherever you are in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're there an no, there, there are no geo restrictions. Correct. And you can choose different audio and all that kind of stuff. So that nationalization of those media rights now will uniformly go to all of those teams. So they don't have to worry about building their own local media businesses nearly as much anymore. They can focus on selling tickets and branding and, and all that kind of stuff. The past, however, is interesting and ironic because as the cable bundle starts to uh, shard away and as younger audiences don't even know what a subscription service like cable is, is or what it even means anymore. Um, there's actually this sort of quaint notion that broadcast television, television stations in particular, yeah. could step in and become the new local sports uh, hubs, at least for wide-scale in-market distribution, right? Where you take you know, a a, a, a a smattering of games, maybe 10 or 12 games mm -hmm. and feature them on over the air television, just sell them as advertising. And um, at least you get reached that way. It's a nice promotional vehicle yeah. and, uh, and you stream the rest. And that's exactly what the LA Clippers have been doing. Okay. They took, I think like 13 or 14 of their games, put them on um, one of the local stations there and they use it as a promotional vehicle uh, to tease out and uh, remind people that they're around and uh, encourage them. And it it's great for branding because it gives them a lot of reach. So I think you're going to see combinations okay. of broadcast TV and streaming um, where the national economics for the major packages go, go through streaming. And, um, and then the rest are kind of done sort of on a local broadcast thing. Again, NFL is kind of the exception to that rule. But I think you're going to see, and I'll give you one last hint. Um, everything goes through an app. 
And if you want to see the best expression of how apps really work, check out the NBA's new app. It hmm. feeds it feeds all of the television, all the streaming through that app. And it knows it will suss out whether you are subscribed to or not a certain package or have the authenticated rights to watch stuff, right? Oh, okay. And if you are, everything gets lit up and you'll get all these extra bonus feeds and all that kind of stuff. If not, you'll get promoted to purchase through the app to upgrade either for that game okay. or for the season and that kind of stuff. So I think you see a lot more flexibility and a lot more. Um, and again, the NFL has really perfected the idea of centralized national rights that benefits everybody. Um, I think you're going to see more of that, less regionalization. Uh, and I think you're going to see streaming and local broadcast actually create a, a nice new mix of, uh, of stuff. How the XFL and these challenger leagues fit into that, I'm not so sure. Um, there, there's a reason why they're on the places that they are now, because they're not getting paid, the XFL. It's literally just they're, they're essentially getting distribution for free for production costs. Okay. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, cause watching, I'm able to watch ES, I'm able to watch the XFL over here um, on ESPN plus, but the problem is, is ESPN plus is geo blocked. So I have to go to a VPN <laughs> and thank God I've got a good VPN provider that I haven't had any issues um, tuning into any of my games, any of the games that I watch. It's interesting. I, I'm surprised. I'm, I wonder where the, those international rights went for the XFL. Maybe they just well, have that's that's a good question. I mean, I'm, you know, being in, it's, it's been a learning experience since I got here, how to watch, you know, I got here during football season. So first thing I learned was not all VPNs are created equal. So had to go to the internet, bought the NFL international game pass. Well, I could only watch that in Japan. So that means if I did a V turn my VPN on and it had me located in the States, I couldn't watch the internet NFL international game pass, but the NFL international game pass allows me for a hundred bucks a year, to see every game. And you compare that to what, the NFL Sunday ticket costs in the States. And um, you realize, oh, it, uh, I'm, it, people in America are getting robbed because I can watch. It's just, it just the economic. The, the NFL has figured out how to make money off of all of us pretty easily. Um, but the, the irony of the NFL, though, is they are the, one, they are the ones almost single-handedly keeping broadcast television alive. I mean, if you right. take away the NFL and, and the broadcasters know it. Yeah. The only reason that broadcast stations and broadcast networks kind of, I mean, the NFL is really the big time prop. And what the NFL realizes, not only that they, they, they get, they get paid a pretty penny because broadcasters are desperate to mm -hmm. keep something of value that they can, if, if that goes away, a lot of the broadcasting industry will suffer very, very quickly. Yeah. That's how entwined yeah. they are. But here's the kicker. It also gives the NFL probably the broadest reach of any sports league out there because it is so universally available. Now, mm -hmm. yeah, Amazon Prime's in the mix. Yeah, ESPN is in the mix. Yeah, I have to pay my cable operator if I want to get my broadcast signal through my television set. But literally, broadcast television 
here for you youngins out there. It's actually free. <laughs> you can actually put up an antenna and get it for free. That's how it was designed. And frankly, how, how laws are set up to allow those to actually happen. Now, mm -hmm. business has evolved and changed, but, but it's, it's a reach vehicle for the NFL and they yeah. are expert at reach. They're everywhere. Right. Yeah. And you're ubiquitous. Every network, et cetera. So, you know, that is a model. It's a template and everybody is absolutely jealous of it and wants to somehow replicate it in its own. And they look, you got to give the NFL credit. They did this years ago by pooling their rights. Right. They benefited everybody so that Jacksonville got just as much money as Jerry Jones in Dallas. And if you want to find other ways to make money in your market beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the NFL has knows how to make, and that's something they have perfected. It's how to make money. And, and they brought to parity to the league too. It's not like yeah. the Yankees every year, right? Well, and also too, I mean, with the NFL network, I mean, it's the NFL football, the NFL itself is a year round thing. I mean, we're good. We're rolling in here, getting ready for what we've got really kind of a, we had free agency and now we're going to be rolling into the draft. And next thing you know, we're going to be talking about the next thing. And before you know it, Hey, this it's kickoff. Um, yeah, they've created, it's just, it's fascinating to see how much it's evolved, especially since we were kids. You think about it back in the seventies, we were kids, what Sunday. And on every Sunday at three, pretty much knew the Cowboys or the Steelers were going to be on one of the channels, but here we are. <laughs> But here we are now yeah, look, living in think, the future. I also think there's saturation, right? Because now you've yeah. got a Thursday night game. You've got Sunday afternoon. You've got Sunday night. You've got Monday night. You've got on, you know, the, in December, you've got Saturday games. Right. Now on Thanksgiving, you've got three games. I, you know, there's, there's these morning games now in Europe. I, it is. Um, and we I, haven't even talked about college ball. Right. It's, it's all, with it, respect. It's, it's too much. It, yeah, it's really, I agree it with dilutes you. it. And it, Premier League's doing the same thing. There's a dilution there. And yeah. I, at some point, the NFL is going to get caught in all of that. For now, it's green, green field, but right. it, it's, it's, um, it, it's too much. I honestly believe it's too much. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, I agree a hundred percent with you. Scarcity helps sell stuff, right? I mean, keep it scarce so that it, people it can generate interest. Yeah, it does. Well, listening to you talk though about the regional networks and bringing over the air broadcast, uh, it gives me hope that I'm going to see the Cubs on WGN again next time I'm in town. Well, that's a sore <laughs> subject, right? I mean, um, uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, Jack Brickhouse is probably still rolling over in his grave. So quick, quick Chicago's thing. I mean, you know, the, the irony is that the marquee sports network, which is the second literally launched three years ago, just to be the, the broadcaster of the Cubs, a regional sports network, it is, it is bereft of any other programming during the rest of the year. Yeah. One has to pay for it regardless. And um, it is co-owned by the company that uh, rolled up uh, about 70% of the other regional sports networks now called Bally Sports a company called Sinclair, which is a big broadcaster in the United States. I've heard of and Sinclair. And they, they, you have, but you also have heard that the uh, RSN business that they bought four years ago, including the rights to create Marquee, is essentially going to declare bankruptcy in another week or two. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, which is hastening the collapse of this regional sports network thing. So my point is maybe a little bit of a, a an air of hope that you might be able to see some games on. Uh, on the channel nine WGN here in uh, Chicago and maybe 
somehow otherwise as well. But I think Major League Baseball is going to be is is just about ready to do the NFL thing and nationalize their rights. I think that's next. Yeah, and that's you know, I mean, we could go on forever. I mean, we, baseball is a whole nother subject. Just talking about TV and media and everything, and even you know, old defunct leagues. And of course, we're talking. We're, we'd have to go way back for that. Um, so, Tim, if you could let everybody know here where to find you, how to listen, um, and you know, anything else, you know, your website too, because you've got a great website. The website is you know the your website is one of the best companion websites to any podcast that i know that's out there well if you're still awake uh thank you for listening um uh good seats still available that's the name of the podcast it's literally and figuratively wherever you get podcasts so would you follow or or subscribe or whatever um there's probably no platform out there across the planet where we're not available so you have no excuse frankly um (laughs) The website, as mentioned, thank you, is goodseatsstillavailable.com. Make sure you spell the, the with all the S's in there properly. We uh, post every episode there as well. Uh, we also publish through YouTube, so you can see them there too. We want to download them that way. Um, th- there's no excuse not to find them. You should be able to find them with it with ease. Just a quick uh, and, Google search. And I, and I would hope um, there's a bunch of things that I, uh, to me, this is a foundation. I think there's a bunch of other things we can do. I, I really would like to do... Uh, rehab a newsletter a little bit and try to get more involved in literally newsworthy things in and around the realm of defunct and forgotten sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said earlier, hinted at earlier, they're always making, <clears throat> always making more. There's always a story. There's always a threat of relocation. There's always something going on about a new league that'll come and go. Um, I just would like to be more regularly um, helpful in surfacing those stories for li- the listener audience, but also frankly, to just get ideas for future episodes. Yeah. Um, it, it, and we may have a few other sort of things. I'd like to do some live interviews and events and stuff. So there's a whole bunch of things I'd like to do if given the time, but I appreciate anybody who, um, who has listened, uh, who has not listened before, but will give a listen. Uh, again, as I said earlier, it's a niche. Um, but if it, it strikes your fancy, uh, I think you will enjoy it immensely because I learn every single episode. And if you have a passing interest in a particular sport or you vaguely remember a team uh, or a certain league that you think happened in your consciousness, but you can't put a finger on it. Um, if we haven't gotten to it yet, we probably will. And um, once we stumble across something that uh, tickles your fancy, I guarantee you'll find it uh Interesting and hopefully, God forbid, a little enjoyable too. Okay. And what do you got? Any um, any previews as to what's coming up on the next episode? Uh, you'll just have to stay tuned. Okay. Uh, we spin <laughs> the wheel. That's what we, we call it. We try not that's to. Tip. we call it. Tease. We try not to tip off, but uh, you can <laughs> you can be assured that uh, there'll be plenty of football uh, fun and frivolity to come in the in the months ahead for sure. So keep a listen, football fans, for sure. All right, Tim, thank you very much for joining me. And, you know, we'll be talking here after we press the stop button here to you'll update me on the Chicago election results. And uh, for everybody who's listening and, you know, and I know I have family out there, too, that are now listening. So I do appreciate that. But uh, on behalf of Scott and myself, Tim, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, you know, all three of us now are mutual friends. So I know, um, you know, um, 
both you and I are wishing Scott well with his, what's going on with his family right now. And um, for everybody who's listening, thank you very much. And we will be talking to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.